0: Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Melissa Harris, and GovCIO Media and Research is live here at the 2022 HIMSS conference in Orlando. We're here to connect with top health IT leadership and to dive into the details of their work throughout a series of special podcast episodes that we'll share with you throughout the HIMSS conference. Before we get into our interview today, make sure you will follow along on GovCast, HealthCast, and CyberCast so you don't miss out. Now let's dive into our episode and talk about some of the unique and timely work that the Army Telemedicine and Advanced Technology Research Center, or TATRIC, is doing. TATRIC primarily leverages computational biology, digital health, medical modeling and simulation, and medical robotics to improve Army medical capabilities on the battlefield and in critical care. But during COVID-19, the government took an all-hands-on-deck approach to tackling the public health emergency, and TATRIC played a key part. Working with the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, or ASPR, TATRIC launched the National Emergency Telecritical Care Network, known as NETSIN. We'll break NETSIN down today, but just to get you situated... Patrick stood Netson up to address the shortage of critical care-trained physicians across the country during COVID-19. It's become an evolving network of clinical care teams that provide medical expertise through various digital and telehealth platforms to help providers aid COVID-19 patients. This has come in the form of remote home monitoring, relief coverage, e-consultations, specialty services, and more. TATRIC Science Director Matt Quinn will tell us about the process behind establishing NETCIN. He joined TATRIC just as the pandemic was starting, so this has been a major project for him. He'll also share about how Asper and TATRIC are working together to turn NETCIN into a program rather than a project to make NETCIN's infrastructure sustainable for future emergencies. Well, Matt, thank you for joining us here for the the podcast show today. I know it's a busy time at him, so it's great to be able to take some time to chat with you.
1: Thank you so much. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, you've had an interesting journey getting to TATRIC and starting off your time there. Um, we know that, uh, you know, you got there around the time when COVID was really starting, and it you had a lot on your plate to have to, um, you know, address it. So can you explain what that journey was like for you and um, perhaps how you navigated it?
1: Sure. So uh, in March of 2020, I left my job at Department of Health and Human Services, the HRSA, or the Health Resources and Services Administration, where I had been the senior advisor for health technology. And HRSA is the agency that works with federally qualified health centers. Uh, the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy and other rural and underserved kind of healthcare environments. Joining TATRIC, I expected to focus mostly on combat casualty care and military medicine. In the process of, um, of in processing, um, COVID hit, and we also got a call from the Commanding General of Medical Research and Development Command uh, who said, Tatrick, what can you do for COVID? And uh, that stopped my in-processing, and it shifted to some rapid ideation on how do we apply technologies uh, that were part of what we were envisioning for the future of military medicine to uh, the COVID problem. And that was really the genesis of uh, what we now call the National Emergency Telecritical Care Network, or Netson.
0: Fantastic. So stepping back from um, COVID for a second. Um, telehealth was on the rise uh, before the pandemic as something that different organizations and agencies were eyeing as a great boon for um, the healthcare space. But obviously the pandemic accelerated its use across all sorts of cri- uh, clinical care. So can you go into what TATRIC's telehealth capabilities were like um, before the pandemic and how it evolved amid COVID-19 and how um, Netson sort of played a role in this?
1: Sure. So TATRIC's mission is to fuse data, humans, and machines into solutions for warfighter performance and combat casualty care. And so when we think of telehealth, we often think of you know a patient and a, a doctor uh, talking through communication technologies, uh, often real-time video. But TATRIC historically and in, in, in this context has thought about it in, in, in many other ways. Everything from telerobotic surgery, where uh, we're controlling a robot who is performing surgery from a distance, maybe on the battlefield or maybe a little bit back from the battlefield. We think of telehealth as decision support, uh, whether that's in the form of a clinician talking to another clinician or a clinician talking to a medic uh, who's far forward. We think of it as different aspects of autonomy uh specifically for medical devices. So think of a patient uh, or a person a soldier who's injured on the battlefield and they're evacuated on a helicopter or a truck. Um imagine if you could have a remotely controlled or telecontrolled uh device assisting them on the way. And of course all types of digital health tools uh integrated into the military health system mostly on the operational side. Um you know, everything from collecting information from soldiers for their personal health to, um, you know, looking at uh, bug bites and uh, eye exams and other things forward to what we think of as traditional telehealth. TATRIC's done it all. TATRIC over the years has really been a pioneer in these kinds of technologies and their um, use in military medicine and then the catalyst for broader use.
0: Yeah. So you had all these capabilities beforehand. Um, how did COVID push you to maybe pivot a little bit or leverage what you had to, um, you know, address the needs of the pandemic?
1: So a lot of telehealth that we that we traditionally think of um, during the pandemic, especially has been because of the pandemic. If you don't want to go to the doctor's office, you can talk to the doctor virtually Um and, and, and in the past, you know, this this required some relaxation as a rule. You used to have to go to the doctor's office to, doc, to use the Internet to talk to the doctor via telehealth. What, what, what we're really focused on is telehealth or the pandemic. So thinking of it as a force multiplier for delivering care to places that need help. Um, on the morning that we got the call from our general One of the things that really got our heads moving was a picture, and we still use it. It was uh, Kaiser Family Foundation had an article on uh, where there are ICUs and intensive care units in the country uh, in hospitals and where there are hospitals without intensive care units and where there are just no hospitals. And thinking about that, and remember back to March 2020, New York City, Seattle, and a few other places were experiencing surges, and we said... You know, the real issue here is you know, we can find, we can put up you know, field hospitals and the Javits Center and parking garages and things like that, which we did, and we can find more ventilators because we have a strategic stockpile of those. But the real short leg in the tent is the educated experts on running uh, these technologies and managing those kinds of patients. How do we extend that expertise, and how do we do it quickly in a way that doesn't require extensive IT integration and, you know, rigmarole?
0: Going back to Netsin, um I'd love to hear about um, the origins of it and what it was like standing it up. Um, what kinds of stakeholders did you work with, and, um, you know, was it industry? Were there other federal agencies involved? What did that look like?
1: Yeah this uh, this is uh, fascinating and um, it was it was a team our uh, Tatrix commander is uh, Colonel Jeremy Pamplin who's a, a, an intensivist and he immediately called on uh, friends and experts uh, from the critical care field folks from the Society of Critical Care Medicine um, from. People who are really experienced in this area. We called on, you know, partners from rural health, from my HHS world, and we were really trying to be radically inclusive. So, you know, across the gamut. We knew that, you know, something, um, like what is, is the base of Nets and basically connecting through lightweight communication, smartphone apps from anywhere to anywhere was, was something that we wanted to do. But we actually worked with a company called MITRE, um, who's a federally funded research and development center, to bring together and to have a series of what we call visioneering sessions, and then um, some additional meetings, group meetings, to prioritize additional concepts. And that really was the framework for what we talked about initially, what we got funding to support along three lines of effort. One of them was the basic digital health tool ecosystem, so a a, a team of teams of clinical and technical teams to deliver that telecritical care from anywhere to the point of need. The second we called virtual hospital, which is adding additional capabilities on top of that basic communication. This is borne out in our, our remote patient monitoring work and our... Uh, remote control of ventilators and pumps work. And the last is data to decisions, where we knew that if we wanted this to scale, it needed to be more than just individual teams. We needed to take the data from more than one team and uh, be able to send it in a normalized way to decision makers at Echelon. And then also for research and development of You know, quality improvement initiatives, artificial intelligence, et cetera. So this was kind of our our, our picture at the beginning, and uh, we had to, we had to, you know, address each chunk at a time uh, through this.
0: Right. And, you know, it's also been an interesting time for TATRIC because the solutions you're bringing are not just for the warfighter but for the civilian population too. So can you go into what that balance has been like and perhaps how the kind of work you do has evolved um, amid, like, these new needs?
1: So Colonel Pamplin, again, our our commander, said something that was really shaped, I think, how we think about this. But also has given us some latitude in working on um, this project as a military, as a, uh, an Army research and development lab, uh, basically doing something in the civilian world. And that there are parallels between this pandemic and large scale combat operation and what's called multi domain operation. So as we've moved from Afghanistan and having air superiority. And being able to achieve what's called the golden hour for, you know, evacuating somebody who is a casualty and getting them to higher levels of care to operating all over the world, often in places where there's possibility of, again, not just dozens of casualties, but hundreds or even thousands. We need to think about how to scale, how to extend, and frankly, how to take care of seriously injured people who can't be evacuated through what some call prolonged casualty care or uh, other means. And um, from the start, we envisioned this as a way to learn about, to practice both um, the concepts that we've envisioned for large-scale combat operations in support of multi-domain operations, but also how to fit heterogeneous technologies from different vendors into a system of systems that works to solve individual problems, but also provides the data to inform leaders at Echelon, but also to feed it back into the system so that they, you know, the people actually delivering care and doing things, you know, can can proactively be delivered supplies and can know where the next wave is coming. And so it's you know, depending on who we're asking for money, <laughs> that's different. <laughs> the emphasis is on different syllables, right? But um, this has proven to be a resonant concept for COVID, of course, and, and we've been very busy during COVID, but also uh, for all hazards response. Um, in In the civilian disaster world, most of our funding has come from the Cares Act, but but through ASPR and HHS, the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, who said, "This is really the future complement to our boots on the ground response capability because electrons can move a lot faster than airplanes, even fast airplanes, in yeah. <laughs> getting in getting caregivers there, and they can stay longer at a lo- lower cost. And then, of course, for these for these uh, military concepts, um, best." illustrated in in exercises like Project Convergence, uh, which is a big, um, or JADC2, which are sort of the the future military concept uh, experiments or proving grounds.
0: Right. Since Netson has sort of uh, taken off now and has been a great model for perhaps how we could uh, advance healthcare at speed in different stressful situations, how do you see, you know, now that you've Stood it up. How can it grow and become something that we can reuse in the future, or even you know just continue to use generally?
1: Yeah. So um, just last week we met with um, our partners at, at At Asper about how we take Netson from a project into a program. Um, it's kind of monumental, actually. Asper has hired a program director, uh, Commander Dina Passman, to shepherd this new capability, this new program. The challenge is that we still need to continue to deliver for COVID and also in preparation for other real world emergencies like hurricanes and other things that could come our way. And so it's, it's, it's in some ways building the airplane as we're flying it. But what, what we envision is continuing to operate and deliver using our existing framework of other transaction authority, um, contracts and, you know, teams like, you know, Avell. But also, um, in parallel, thinking about the long-term sustained governance model for this, the sustainment model and how we build it into, uh, you know, the fabric of U.S. healthcare. Uh, for all sorts of emergencies, what they call all hazards so it's it 's a bit of a balancing act, and uh, we 're doing our best <laughs> and I mean we get to work with great people on, on on all sides of the government,
0: yeah, what do you think are some lessons learned from this experience with netsin it 's definitely been um, a bit of a paradigm shift, and you know now that it 's looking to become a program um, What have you gleaned from this whole process in the pandemic and, um, you know, how will that inform your work or perhaps um, federal health's work moving forward?
1: Yeah, no, this is great. And um, we got invited to do CMS, Medicare, uh, you know, grand rounds uh, a few weeks ago. Um, And, and, again, we had this great team of of, of folks who who participated in that, and this was actually one of the questions. What have you learned? What can we apply here? And I actually told a story uh, to to illustrate the fact that even with changes in policy, relaxations of things like cross-state licensure and um, emergency standards of care, the healthcare system in the U.S., unless things are absolutely clear, won't accept it. Um, so what we've learned is that we need to make it very clear that in circumstances like this, whether it's a declared disaster um, or a pandemic, that you're allowed to do this, you're encouraged to do this, and that you don't have to jump through you know, all of the hoops around licensure and credentialing. It's very complicated today, unnecessarily so. Every time we try to start support of a hospital in need, we have to go through a checklist that we developed along the way around cross-state licensure for doctors, for nurses, for PAs and other kinds of providers. Um, emergency credentialing. So we've learned to work with hospital associations in states to accelerate that, and that you know some of these folks are just like the you know the regulatory people and the councils at some of these places aren't going to believe you. I mean, a heartbreaking situation where we tried to help and we did help. Eventually, a hospital in South Dakota uh, going through a surge, and it took weeks—three weeks. Three weeks to go live because they didn't they didn't feel comfortable doing emergency credentialing. So the imagine that there's you know COVID patients in their gift shop in their chapel because they don't have enough beds at this little hospital and they can't move them and they're worried about faxing back and forth uh, forms for credentialing. And again, you know, um, we figured a lot of that out over time, but we did it better. Another key lesson is that if you make technology simple, people will use it. Um, We've, you know, we we track use very closely, and this is part of our onboarding and offboarding process as we operate this, and if you take technology away from being a, a, a you know one of the one of the barriers to this this was one of our key criteria for you know the the nets and teams is is it simple to use can you demonstrate that it's simple to use then people use it you got to make it as simple as whatsapp or other basic communication platforms that's what we did largely
0: yeah that's an important aspect you can bring as much technology to the table but if it's not user-friendly, if it's not simple, then uh, then you run into more problems. Stepping away from Netson for a second, um, you know, I want to talk about how DOD has been going through this new electronic health record modernization process, moving everything to MHS Genesis, where the aim is to be more interoperable overall. So how has the shift in the EHR infrastructure changed the way that TATRIC conducts and provides digital health from the provider and patient perspectives, and has this impacted the way that, um, you know, you've been able to set up NetSyn?
1: So I'll, I'll answer this in maybe a little bit of a funny way, is that in military health, there's a balance between Garrison HealthCare so operating military hospitals and caring for beneficiaries and all of that. And then the operational side, which is, you know, on the battlefield. And in some ways, Netson blurs those lines because we envision using people who are stateside here, uh, largely out of harm's way, to deliver expertise to over there. We've, we've largely stayed away from... The, the MHS Genesis world. Yeah. That is such a huge project, though. sucks a lot of attention, resources, et cetera, from some of the other concepts. Yeah. And so um, by getting funding through the CARES Act <laughs> and through for COVID, we have been able to rapidly accelerate in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise. And the challenge now is integrating what we're doing back into the military R&D system and into MHS Genesis. One of the trade-offs in the Netson concept is how much integration do we want to have with the civilian hospitals that we support and or you know, the military, uh, the MHS Genesis. That we have one system, or we will, right, makes that integration easier on that side, on the, on the military side, we intentionally chose not to integrate with the hospital's EHR systems um, as part of Netson. Why? Because even if there was a fire API that made it seamless and easy, that would be a meeting with the CIO and their staff, and weeks before we could start providing basic consultative support to, you know, doctors and nurses trying to care for COVID patients during a search. So we said keep it simple, keep it focused. Um, and 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 largely that's 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 what we've done.
0: Yeah. It's it seems like it also keeps it so that, you know, we could pull out a system like Netson when there are emergencies, you know, since it's so it's sort of on a need-by-need need basis, whether it's a natural disaster or something like that. so you may not need it to be present in, um, you know, the civilian healthcare ecosystem all the time.:
1: it's, this, is, this is one of those, the, the, the big questions, right? There is a need on an ongoing basis for clinicians, especially, to be able to ask a friend. And the way that they do it today, Oh, it's probably the worst kept secret in healthcare, right? Is that they use WhatsApp or other non secure, non HIPAA compliant tools <laughs> even to communicate inside of hospitals? Right. This is secure. This is HIPAA compliant, and this is built on you know the technology expertise of you know folks like Avell and our other nets and teams who have done this. Basically, what we asked them to do was to take what they usually do for hospitals and strip it down to the basics and make it work on a smartphone or a tablet as an app. And um, sometimes less is more, right? And, uh, and and because of that, it's easily deployable. We've gotten so used to COVID, it's like the new normal in many ways, that it doesn't seem like the emergency that it is. But imagine a situation where there's a refinery explosion and fire, right? And first responders show up, and there are seriously injured people. Or a battlefield-type situation where medics are not doctors or nurses. They are medics. They need help in triaging and caring for seriously injured people. We can't talk about days or even hours for things like credentialing and licensing and getting started and EHR integration. Like, got to help them now. Uh, we, we had a, a, a meeting uh, with two hospitals in Montana. And it was two CEOs of the hospital who asked us, like, you know, what is this and how does it work? And the one CEO says, you know, we've spent years making everything work together tightly. And if you add this to the mix, then that's not what we're doing. The other CEO said, can you support us on nights and weekends because we're just slammed? And we're like, yes. And do you want help? Because we can, but we're not going to like spend six weeks integrating with your EHR. He's like, no. And so this, this is, this is really the balance. And, um, one of the challenges of doing this, you know, again, on a, on a sustained basis as a program.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, I know we've talked a lot about Netson, and it's great to hear about how, you know, you're trying to figure out the, the moving pieces to make it a program rather than a project. But uh, you also came here to talk about it with folks at HIMSS. And if people can't make it to your talks, um, you know, what are one or two key takeaways that you want the audience here at the conference to really walk away with at the end of the day?
1: First and most importantly— Netson rhymes with Jetson. (laughs) I've heard it pronounced many different ways as acronyms are want to be. But um, yeah, Um, Netson is um, a project that was born of this unique situation, I hope, uh, around a pandemic. But the key message is that this has huge opportunity for the military health system, both the garrison and operational sides, as well as for all hazards response. And it's a program that has demonstrated value but is nascent. Um, and it's a project that's demonstrated value, but it's nascent as a program. And we need stakeholder thought and ideas on how to sustain it. How do we, you know, where do the, in the future, um, where do we source clinicians? So imagine a, a hurricane or a disaster that hits, we'll call it Louisiana and Mississippi. The usual hub and spoke relationship between the little hospitals and the big hospital can't work because the big hospital might be underwater. So do we support... You know, does the hub for Mississippi, instead of being University of Mississippi Medical Center, for example, become Seattle or New England? And if there's a nor'easter or some cataclysm in the northeast, could University of Mississippi support them? How do we make that part of how we work? And it really is disruptive in a positive way for uh, our health system and and how we all support each other.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point because... um, you talk to all these doctors and people in the medical space, and sometimes in many ways it's it makes sense that they do. They tend to focus a lot on where they are, their patient population, right in front of them. A lot of it is acute care. Um, so how do we look beyond what's right in front of us and try to help everyone out so that we can you know, address health emergencies altogether? Um, so I love that point you have. Um, and lastly, you know, um, as we were sort of touching upon, um, the, the theme of the HIMS conference is to reimagine health. And that can look like all sorts of things. So what do you think are some of the key themes that you've seen at the conference that really speak to that image of reimagining health? Or perhaps what do you want to hear so that you know you could conceptualize what reimagining healthcare looks like?
1: Yeah, a couple of thoughts. One of them is is reimagining this teaming of humans and technology as a, in a transformative way. So um, at, at HRSA, for example, um, we ran all sorts of workforce programs to get people to work in health provider shortage areas, HIPSAs. About 80-odd million people live in health provider shortage areas, and they continue to. How do we combine the best of virtual care and the best of in-person care to deliver something that they're better than they're getting today. This isn't a worse than, it's a better than by combining those two things. How do we combine technology and humans and data, like our mission, right, to make good on these concepts like you know, um, semi-autonomous or autonomous casualty care? How do we uh, bring information from uh, where it's needed to where to elsewhere? And you know, in many ways, this is reimagining a healthcare world where the EHR is not the center of things. This is saying how do we support you know the decision makers, whether they're patients or providers or administrators, where they are. And one last thought. Um, and I, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to ignore how important patients are in all of this. But through the COVID pandemic, we have just really put our provider workforce through unimaginable pain and unimaginable, you know, trauma, frankly. And some have left the field and many who remain are really in a tough spot. And so, as we reimagine healthcare, how do we reimagine that that current and future healthcare workforce to support them? So much of what we've done with Netson is consultative. It's it's helping that primary care doc or PA who's caring for somebody who ordinarily would be sent to a, a you know a, a tertiary care facility, an academic medical center somewhere, for days sometimes, and supporting them. They know what to do largely. But they need somebody to talk to, to help them, to to give them the confidence, to give them a second opinion, to help them feel like they're doing the right thing, and to and to hold them up during that really tough time. How do we continue to do that? Again, as part of the fabric of what we do, because we're going to have staffing shortages for a long time. And um, I'll, I'll close with this and say that you know when we when we kick this project off. General Tally was our was our uh, commander at, at Medical Research and Development Command. He says, "You'll know when you've succeeded when you've changed the force structure." So that's that's about you know the number of medics that we need and the number of soldiers and doctors and stuff. And I was like, "Wow." they make people generals for a reason right <laughs> like like but it, it really is the essence of it right that's reimagining healthcare as not with you know our current concepts and our current structure but in a different structure that allows us to do more with less and to support the people who are delivering it and to, and to make good for patients you know to to give people who live in rural places and underserved places the quality of care that's available at our best institutions we can do that
0: Yeah, that really ties into some of the themes I've been seeing around health equity and access. And um, the provider burnout is also very real. And although COVID has brought all these challenges that have really exacerbated um, pre-existing problems, it's forced us to have this... um, need for transformation so it's really a great opportunity to grow moving forward and it's great to see how tatrick has been playing a part in that so thank you so much for joining us on the show and um for taking the time out of your day at the hymns conference to um to share a little bit about what you do
1: it's been my pleasure and uh happy to talk about nets in any time excellent <laughs> and other things too
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right take care take care thanks for tuning in Follow our other shows for more coverage throughout the conference this week. And head to govciomedia.com to keep up with our hymns coverage. We'll be covering some key sessions and we'll release daily newsletters so you don't miss a thing. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.